like a scarecrow in a melon patch. Their idols cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot walk. Do not fear them. They can do no harm. Nor can they do any good. Looks like I'm slow dancing with the uh, scarecrow here. It's junior high all over again. Just gonna walk in a circle to music. So proving the uh, the truth of that passage, I had to carry this guy up here. He's gonna join me for for our message time. So oh, now it's really like junior high. There we go. Well. I've mentioned before stories of me and Ricky Green. And I've got another one for you, one that most of you probably haven't heard. Back during when he and I were 11 years old. I'm Jason, by the way. I am one of the pastors here, just not a random guy carrying scarecrows. And uh, it was the end of that summer. We were 11 years old, going into the early part of fall. And the meadows and fields around where we lived on Griffin Ridge, way up in northern Maine, had grown brown and golden and dry. And we had noticed that others, landowners and people around, would, would do this thing in the fall where they would set fire to some of these fields. We thought, well, that looks interesting. Uh, I'm sure they could use some help. And being a couple of 11-year-old idiots, we decided to, uh, to lend a hand. He went out behind Ricky Green's house, there back in the nice golden brown dry meadow, and started setting fires. Kids don't do this at home, but a little fire there, and wow, wow, and then it would you know, stomp it out. Okay, that's going well. We'd light it again and you know, stomp that one out. Of course, there's no garden hose with water or pails of sand or, or shovels, pickaxes, heavy blankets. There's nothing else except a couple of 11-year-old idiots and sneakers that are going to do a controlled burn of this meadow. And eventually, we got rather, rather confident in our lighting of fire. And we'd, then we'd stamp it out, and then I thought I'd put that one out over there. And we'd, hey. And then, and then we heard the sirens. And apparently someone's mom saw the smoke, and where there's smoke, there's usually Ricky and Jason, and not far behind, there's often fire. And so, being 11-year-old idiots, we took off. I snuck back through the woods, back to my house. Ricky Green hid under his bed. And it wasn't until the next day that we were assured that we had not burned down all of Griffin Ridge. We had, however, left this dark gash of destruction in the meadow there. You see, fire destroys things. But what was interesting is what happened next spring. That as that meadow came back to life, it was the most lush and green and vibrant patch of all the surrounding fields. You see, fire also can refine. It can cleanse. It can burn away the cruft and the chaff 
the weeds, briars, thistles that choke out real life also. And so how can you have a series on scarecrows without talking about fire? You've got scarecrows? Well... But I get ahead of myself. What are we talking about? You may be here for the first time or have been tracking with this series these last few weeks. So let's remind ourselves, what are these scarecrows we're talking about? Working definition. Is a scarecrow, is any object or concept that we prop up in our lives to help us feel safe and secure, but that ultimately cannot deliver. There's all kinds of examples we've talked about over the weeks, and a few maybe come to mind right now. Our families might be a place that we find our identity, our security, and if we lean too heavily on those, can it become a scarecrow? How about a job? What happens when that job goes overseas, gets automated, stops being fulfilling? Finances, good looks, you know, those will go away for some of you guys. Um, Go away from me as well, whatever I have. Our self, college degrees, skills, abilities, we can elevate those to scarecrows. And what does Jeremiah say? That passage that was part of that video trailer for the series. Here's his warning or his perspective on this whole area of Scarecrows. He says in Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 5, that like a scarecrow in a melon patch, their idols cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot walk. Do not fear them. They can do no harm. Nor can they do any good. And so are scarecrows really that big a deal? What if we take those scarecrows to the level of Messiah. Big word of placing all our trust in scarecrows. Is that something to be concerned about? How pervasive are these? Are they really that big a deal? Are we just making too much out of it during this series? Do we really need to be concerned about some scarecrow messiahs competing for our soul? Well, the Apostle Paul I had an incredible gift for engaging people and of challenging them and calling them out in a loving yet firm manner about the scarecrows in their lives, about the idols, the things they were trusting in that were not going to deliver when it counted most. And one of my favorite passages of Scripture, you can flip there with me, is in Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17 is where we'll spend some time. Paul has been traveling around, teaching people about who Jesus is and seeing some some wonderful fruit. What's interesting about Paul is he started out as someone deeply antagonistic and even hostile towards things of faith. He persecuted Christians. He he had written arrest warrants, if you will, to, to gather them and take them to trial. He stood idly by, in fact, was rather... In favor of when Stephen was stoned to death and killed, the first martyr. And yet Christ had so transformed his life that his identity 
was really renewed. His name, in many ways, he changed it from Saul to Paul, somewhat as a reflection of that, that new life in Christ. And so it's out of that that he ministers and teaches. And so he's waiting for some of his traveling companions to, to catch up with him in Athens. And that's where we pick it up. Acts chapter 17, verse 16 through 21. It says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he argued in the synagogues with the Jews and the devout persons, and also in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Also some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers debated with him. Some said, what does this babbler have to say? The burning question most Sundays here, right? What does this babbler have to say, want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign divinities. This was because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. And so they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, means Mars Hill, this gathering place, and asked him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? It sounds rather strange to us, so we would like to know what it means. Now all the Athenians and Rochesterians and artisans and the foreigners living there would spend their time in nothing but telling or hearing something new. So it's interesting how Paul's immediate travels takes him to all these arenas. See, scarecrows are pervasive. Notice where he goes. Maybe not very surprising, or perhaps it is. He starts out in the synagogue, that faith community. Are people of faith at risk of trusting in scarecrows? Certainly they would know better and have the best perspective. Or forget about this generic faith community, or even the Christian subculture? What about here at Artisan? Can we imagine Paul standing before us and saying, I've got to tell you, there's, there's some potential scarecrows you folks at Artisan ought to be aware of. What are some of those things? Something we might rely on, give a sense of safety and security that won't ultimately deliver? How about the classic, go to church every Sunday? Right? You'll be okay. Or you read the right version of the Bible. You can't go wrong. You sing the right hymns, psalms, and spiritual songs, and the Holy Spirit will, will really show up. Behaviors like don't drink beer. Don't drink light beer. Right? See, we all have... <laughs> the yahoos out there in the lobby laughing. We're the don't drink light beer church. That's our scarecrow. Because certainly if we're a drinking church, and we can turn that into a scarecrow, can't we? Yeah, Paul would probably help us out. But notice that he doesn't just stay there within the confines of the religious world, but he goes out into the marketplace. There's scarecrows there as well. Any recent events that, that lead you to believe that out in the business world, people have been trusting in some things that don't ultimately deliver. Not the first time that the golden calf, the bull, you know, gave it to some folks on the horns. Uh, the Fed rates, the subprime mortgage scarecrows. There's scarecrows there as well. And I love that Paul engages the philosophers. That the Christian faith, that who Jesus is, 
is, is up to intellectual rigor. And in my way of thinking, those philosophers represent pretty well the academia. And here at Artisan, we have literally more than our fair share. It's, it's an embarrassment of riches how many college students, grad students, PhD candidates, professors, alumni, and just people in the university world. And Rochester has a, just a great set of schools, some of the best in the world in the country. Even the so-called second-tier schools are the best in their class. Our community college, one of the best. And so I'm wondering, those who sometimes interact with that world or find yourselves fully there, just wondering, have you ever detected a note of, of arrogance? about the ability of really smart people to solve whatever problems we have. That we can figure this out, that we're clever enough, just work a little harder, and we can solve all the problems that, well, other very clever people cause, but we're more clever and oh, we'll finally get it right, you know? Can we trust in, in those things too much? Well, perhaps. And then finally, Paul lands right in the midst of culture, there in the Areopagus. And even pop culture, if you will. It's where the new and the interesting and all those things are going on. And we see that as well. On a daily basis, paraded for our worship or denigration is an endless series of scarecrows. <laughs> if we could just be like that person, oh, Oprah's going to tell me what to do. and oh, That very moody... Um, dark and brooding musician. Oh, he's going to tell me how to live my life today. And we have scarecrows in pop culture too. And so it's great that Paul goes in those places. And we should be painfully aware that those are areas of our life as well. And so here's what Paul does. He begins to tackle and, and address those issues. And as a devout follower of Jesus, what do you imagine he does? Because he is disturbed, right? It says he was distressed at seeing all these scarecrows scattered about. Do you imagine that he jumps down people's throats, sort of beats them senseless with the Bible? Maybe he gets one of those placards, you know, it says, God hates scarecrows, and he you know, marches that. And the signs always evolve or devolve, and eventually becomes God hates people who make scarecrows. Then finally, just cut to the chase, and God hates you. You know, that's, the signs just always seem to go that direction. Uh, God hates you, but not me. Let's talk. You know? The conversation doesn't get very far, does it? Uh, so Paul actually doesn't do that. He, in fact, sets a fantastic example, one that I desperately wish more of Christ's followers would, would look towards, and one that we try to emulate here at Artisan. See, because Paul's not disturbed that there's scarecrows. He cares about the people who are leaning on them. At Artisan, we're not looking to point fingers of accusation and say, how, how stupid do you have to be to believe in that scarecrow? How desperate and pathetic are you with your scarecrows? Thank God I don't have scarecrows. Not a good conversation starter. Now, we care about people. That's why we're doing this series. And so what's a more helpful way to engage scarecrows, particularly those that compete for our very soul? 
Here's what Paul does. See if we can follow in his footsteps. It says, and Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, <coughs> artisans, <laughs> Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. A very polite, and I don't think particularly condescending, though with a tinge of sarcasm, because that's Paul's idiom, which is why I like him so much. I, I see how you're extremely religious in every way. It's a polite way of saying, what fine scarecrows you have around these parts. The craftsmanship, the materials you use, their color coordination, you take this seriously. And I can appreciate that. That must be coming from somewhere. What's that about? He continues on. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship. Oh, wait, let's stop right there. Objects of worship. These are first century, rather unsophisticated people. We, on the other hand, don't have these random objects of worship in our lives that, uh, that we need to worry about. Uh, in fact, if I could have a couple volunteers that would pass out these little, these little bundles, call them scarecrow kits, would uh, just anyone come up and grab these and make sure everyone gets one. We'll have a chance to use those a bit, but make sure the folks in the lobby get some too. Thanks, Scott. And could someone help Scott? This guy can. So, you know, we don't have little religious fetish objects that we hang around our neck, do we? That we trust in? No, we're more, far more sophisticated. You know, I once was lost, but now I'm found because my iPhone has GPS. I was blind, but now I see because I can Google whatever I need to know. All the knowledge in the world is at the tip of my fingers. Zero wisdom, but lots of knowledge and info. So let's not think that we are above those first century folks. We have our objects of worship. So hold on to your little bundle there, and we'll interact with that in a bit. He says, but as I looked at carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. And what therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. So look how Paul engages their scarecrows. He's not condescending. He doesn't denigrate. In fact, he says, there is some impulse in each of us that desperately wants to make sense of life in the world, have something real, and it often gets expressed <laughs> as scarecrows. It's coming from a good place. We'll talk about whether that's where we want to end up. But Paul starts with what they know. I see your scarecrows. And we've done that these last few weeks, haven't we? Last week, scarecrow politics. Week before, scarecrow superstitions. That rather troubling start, the scarecrow in the mirror. And it is very beneficial to know and be reminded of the scarecrows we're aware of. Because each of us, we have a sense that there's things in our lives that, you know what, that relationship, I really too do invest way too much of myself in that. It's not fair to me and this person I care about. My job, I let that just be my full identity. So we're aware, aren't we, that there's some things we ought to deal with. But what's often more helpful 
is to be honest and admit there's things we don't know. That if you want to unbundle your, your, your creepy little stuff there, <laughs> you can just leave your little twisty thing to the side for a moment and take a... I've lost a bit here, so there we go. Um, that on the one hand, there are the scarecrows we know. And we best pay attention to those. It would be foolish for us to ignore that stuff. But how willing are we to admit that there's a bunch of stuff in our life and in this world that we are clueless about? And if we're willing to admit those things, that there is an unknown quantity... I often think that's where God can do the, the biggest work. Meet us in the unknowns. And so, on one hand, the things we know, but let's, let's admit, there's a lot we don't know about this life. And both are part of ourselves. Both are the stuff of scarecrows that, that we have in us, aren't they? So hold on to those for a bit. Because really, when you just look at it, this seems rather harmless. In fact, didn't Jeremiah say, do not fear them? They can do no harm. And it's true. This scarecrow, though it'd be cool if this happened, but this scarecrow will not hop down off the stage and give one of you a beating. That's not going to happen. But can you imagine a situation where you would put yourself at serious risk because you were trusting in a scarecrow. And so Paul begins to turn the corner and direct them towards an alternative to these scarecrow messiahs that are competing for our soul. And he says this, starting again in verse 24. He says, The God who made the world and everything in it He who is Lord of heaven and earth does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he had needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor, he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, And he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live so that they would search for God, perhaps grope for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we too are his offspring. And since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone or an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. What harm is there in scarecrows? Well, like all idols, they lie. Worse than that, they tell half-truths, particularly about who God is what he would ask of our lives, what he would offer for our lives, and how we should respond. And so that's where the harm comes in. Paul actually quoted a couple Greek poets and philosophers, part of his engagement of where the people were 
Epimedes from 500 BC, Aratus from 300 BC. Those little quotes are from those guys. And really what he's doing is reminding folks that you already have a sense. You know, we think of people there in first century as, as unsophisticated and deeply superstitious, believing in that Roman pantheon of gods, when in fact that was not the common understanding anymore. Their philosophers and poets had already really brought around this idea that, seriously, the gods who control this are just some, you know, half-naked, towel-wearing, oversexed, on steroids, kind of superhumans, screwing everything up. No. At best, Zeus and Athena and Venus and whatever name they're picking that day are just concepts. So people already had a sense that those aren't gods. Part of why they had those altars to the unknown god. Because they were starting to realize culturally, this can't be all there is. And Paul is saying, you are better than your scarecrows because God is more than your scarecrows. And so this stuff of scarecrows <laughs> that is all through our life, go ahead and bundle it back together and just twist it back in one because we need to deal with the whole thing. And then hold that little bundle there. Because as harmless as <laughs> this stuff of scarecrows can seem at times, the ultimate problem is how Jeremiah ends verse 5. They can do no harm, nor can they do any good. And it would be foolish for me, as a pastor who cares about people, about you guys in particular, to just gloss over the fact that this isn't going to help you, whatever you're dealing with, those scarecrows. It would be silly just to make this a series that was one of those self-help, just tweak a few areas, pull out some of the stuffing, get yourself cleaned up, be polite, nice, good people. And Paul refuses to do that either. So it gets a little more serious, the tone. But it's still coming from a pastor's heart. In fact, it's a pastor's heart that requires me to be honest about the danger of scarecrows. And in verse 30 and 31, Paul says, and I can imagine him saying it with a tremble in his voice and just heartbroken. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness, not in anger, not in hatred, not in a twisted pleasure from seeing people suffer, no, but in a holy righteousness. That needs to make right the things that are screwed up in this world. He will have the world judged in righteousness by a man 
whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And it's right there that I lose some of you. Oh, when we're talking about scarecrows and getting our lives right, that's one thing. But some of us are really uncomfortable with this, this Jesus idea. And I get it. I've been on both sides of that line. Because what if Jesus is just... another scarecrow out in the field helping us feel safe and secure but that won't ultimately deliver if you want to take your little bundle there and maybe move that twist about two thirds of the way up here in your little Blair Witch project I got you building there and uh, straighten out the the piece oh make it as creepy as you want because this is really the question as we look at this. Is Jesus another scarecrow? Or did something real happen on that cross? And that's the decision moment that each of us have to face. And so it's understandable that there is a whole spectrum of reactions. And I want you to know they're they're welcome here. And Paul gets the spectrum as well. Here's how people react and see where you place yourself. This is really important for you to be honest about where you are in this spectrum. Verse 32. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some scoffed. That's crazy talk, because it is. Guy coming back from the dead? I'm going to have to need some proof. Need to see some proof on that one. Some changed lives. Some guy used to murder and arrest people, now is a missionary. Some 11-year-old idiot who set fires. Pastor in a church. I'm going to need to see some proof that there might be something real. Some scoffed, but others said, hey, we'll hear you again about this. And at that point, Paul left them. I like that. He drops the microphone and goes off stage. Gives them some space, I think. It's appropriate. But some of them joined him and became believers. I like to kind of separate those out just a bit. Including Dionysius, the Areopagite. He was one of the leaders of those there in the Areopagus. And a woman, no, no doubt a very influential, important woman. Otherwise, she probably wouldn't be named here. She certainly wouldn't be hanging out with the philosophers and the debaters and the, those folks. A woman named Damaris and others with them. And so where are you when it comes to this idea of scarecrow messiahs, is his, and is Jesus just another one? Or is he a scarecrow that bleeds and comes back to life? 
If you're scoffing, again, you're welcome here. It can be a little bit like people who once they're parents or those once they're married saying to those who aren't parents or aren't married, oh, you'll understand when. Isn't that incredibly annoying and condescending? And now being both a parent and someone married, I find myself saying to the unmarried, childless people, oh, but you'll understand. I apologize. But let me say, as someone who's in the scoffing camp for a while, I get that. I'm not any longer. There's something there. You're welcome to explore and ask questions. But if you're scoffing, might I suggest that while that is a legitimate place to be, it is not the best of places to stay. And so for you, during this series here tonight, God's Spirit may be just nudging you, not to make some giant leap, but just that step to move off scoffing and listen a little bit more. Pay a little more attention. Give it a chance. See if it makes sense. Some of you are in the listening camp. You're intrigued. It's part of why you're here. You're on this listening tour. You're trying to figure out what's fake And what's real? And that's a wonderful place to be. But might I also suggest that listening is not the same as action. And so in your life, God's Spirit may be just moving you that next step. And for you, an appropriate next step might be being part of a community as some of these folks chose to be. Not believing everything those folks say they believe. But there's only so much you can do by listening. And it really takes relationships to figure some of this stuff out. To look at the lives of those who once scoffed, (laughs) who are figuring this life out also, and to say, do these people really believe that Jesus is more than a scarecrow? Does it make a difference in how they treat each other, in the lives they live, how they spend their money, spend their time, treat their friends, treat their enemies? Yeah, apart from community, I would argue you can never understand the Christian faith. And so some of you, that's the next step. But a few of us, have been hanging out for a while. And this is a place where friends are welcomed. Crash on the couch, you know where the cups and bowls are, the cereal, head into the fridge. As a family of faith here, we really open the doors wide for friends to hang out as well. But after a while, crashing on the couch, eating the cereal, It might be time for something more. And for a few folks here, that may be where God's Spirit has you. And it's time to cross that line of faith.
Here's why this is important. The Apostle Paul writes to a young church figuring things out, screwing it up most of the time, occasionally nailing it. The church in Corinth, an urban setting, young, a lot of similarities to artisan in our locale. He writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You, you could just listen along if you'd like. Verse 11 and 13. Here's why it matters that we deal with this. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that has been laid. That foundation is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds in the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, the work of each builder will become visible. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each has done. Each of us is building something into our lives. And it's going to be tested. What are you building into your life? Is it the stuff of gold, you know, a priceless faith that will not tarnish even when all of life decays? Is it that silver lining of hope that weathers even the darkest clouds that every one of us will face? Or is it a rich life set with precious stones, each representing that family member, that friend, that stranger, even that enemy whose life we have touched and made better? Is it a life that at its center is that precious pearl of great price, which is worth more than life itself? Are you building that into your life? Or is this the stuff of scarecrows? Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have placed us in a time and place, a culture and setting, so that we would search for you, grope for understanding, and indeed find you because you are not far from each one of us. And that the desire of your heart as our Heavenly Father is that we would no longer cling to the empty and useless scarecrows. My prayer for each person here is that you would move them in that direction towards Jesus from wherever they are to the next place they should be. From scoffing to giving a listening ear. From listening being part of a community where they can learn and discover and even try out the things of faith. And for some, from, from being part of a group of friends to believing in that Jesus who is at the center of this group of friends. God, we recognize that scarecrows will not bleed for us. They will not die for us. 
and they certainly will not come back to life. We thank you that Jesus does all those things and more. And my prayer is that each person here would move closer to fully trusting in a Messiah who is no scarecrow. Pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, I was, I was thinking about this whole series and where we would end up tonight. It seemed appropriate to provide some extra space, emotionally, physically, in the room, in the layouts, for people to respond. This is a big deal. It is a scary thing to say to our scarecrows, you know, we're done with you. And that's not the scary part. This is. Because what's going to take its place? And so for some, there may be a need for prayer, for wrestling a bit, and we want to give you a chance to do that. Some ways that might happen is we do communion every week where we remember and celebrate that Jesus bled and died unlike some empty, useless scarecrow. He took his life back up in victory so he could share that life with us. And I love how we often do it. Sort of a private, devotional moment of individually approaching the table, tearing the bread and dipping it in the wine of the juice and receiving it. But in a series about scarecrows, man, we need some flesh and blood because this is scary when they go away. And so I love that from time to time we serve communion as well. So we'll do that tonight. And on either side of the doors over here, there'll be two stations. Same thing at both, where pastors and leaders, some folks here will be holding elements. And you're encouraged to approach. Tear the piece of bread and we'll say the body of Christ broken for you. Dip it in the wine and the juice and we'll hold the labels there so you can choose. And say the blood of Christ shed for you. And then some may want to spend a few moments in prayer. Whether you take communion or not, you can approach. And if you're not a follower of Christ, we, we encourage you to not take communion. God forbid that becomes another scarecrow, an empty ritual. So that's a, a very appropriate response to not take it until it means something. But feel free to you know, just look one of the pastors in the eyes and say, I'd like to pray. And we're not going to take you off to some secret room and, and wear you down and, and argue with you about how our scarecrows are better than your scarecrows. That's not going to happen. We're just going to pray with you. And if that seems a, a little unsettling, even that idea, because, you know, what are we going to say? Let me tell you. First, there's just a couple sets of chairs here. We're just going to sit there for one or two minutes. We can continue the conversation later in the week. We're flesh and blood. We want to do life together, not drive-by prayers, but we'll start the conversation here. And here's the two questions that whoever you pray with will ask you. So no mystery. The first one, because this is important for you. The first question, where are you with Jesus? You should have a sense of that. And I don't think it's rude of me to put that to you. 
And your answer could be as simple as, I'm a follower, I'm not a follower, I don't know. And then based on those answers, nothing will change. That's for you to start. Because the next question will still be the same for each and every person. How can I pray for you? So nothing to fear. We'll just pray. But what about these creepy friggin' little fetish objects you just made during the worship service here? What are we going to do with those? Yeah. My encouragement to you is as you've recognized the stuff of scarecrows, the things you know, the things you don't know, that you would turn those over to God. That you would call upon him to consume them and cleanse them and clear them out of your life. That in an act of defiance, in spiritual rebellion, you would let those scarecrows burn. And that you would let them burn while you still have breath, while it is today. So they won't have to burn later. Let me pray one more time, and then worship as God leads you. So God, as we head into a time of response, give each of us the courage to make those steps of faith, however small or significant they might be. Help us give over to your cleansing fire, the stuff that will not last and that we should not trust in. And help us in the act of communion or prayer with friends to receive spiritual nourishment and something real. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Continue worshiping as God leads you.